impacted. This, this, world has, this church has impacted the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the great sending forces in the United States of America has been Destiny Church. Amen? And the, the future of this church is even greater. Amen? I love the future of this church. I, I love the Bell family, these, these young men. They, they probably don't know this, but I watch them from afar, afar and I admire each and every one of them. And I love your, your pastor. Pastor Matt Bell is one of the finest. Amen? He is. I, I, I don't just say that loosely, but he is a, a great man of God. I consider him one of the great young leaders in the body of Christ today. I, I appreciate his, his faithfulness to stand up here every Sunday and declare the word of the Lord. I, I, I appreciate and admire his faithfulness to the scriptures and to communicate the word of God. And uh, I just appreciate his friendship. He has truly been a great friend to me and uh, blessed my life in so many, many ways. He is a connector. He's helped me to connect to some great men of God. I'm actually working in, in Minneapolis with Pastor Kurt Juzak, who Matt actually introduced me uh, to Pastor Kurt through a video conference call. And uh, I meet with Pastor Matt and a group of pastors every month, and we talk on the phone a lot, text. And, uh, you know, uh, actually, Master, Pastor Matt helped me out a lot. Uh, about, a, I guess, month, two months back, I, I, I was battling something. Uh, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. It was game four of the Western, Western Conference Finals. And I, I was just really struggling to watch Kawhi Leonard beat up on the Golden State Warriors. I was really struggling with that. Bitterness was really getting a hold of my heart. And, and lo and behold, Pastor Matt pops up on my phone in his... Uh, Toronto Raptors Kawhi Leonard jersey. I mean, just like a, a thorn in my side, rubbing me the wrong way. And I, of course, I had to talk, communicate back to him and just tell him how messed up that was. I couldn't believe that he had betrayed the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> Pastor Matt just began to minister to me. And, and by the time he was done ministering to me, I was actually happy to see Kawhi win a championship and an MVP. So, hey. Go Spurs go, right? I grew up here in San Antonio. I am a diehard die Spurs fan. I'm a diehard. Uh, any Astros fans? All right. And I am a diehard Vikings fan. Hey, I'm from Minneapolis now. Any, any Vikings fans in the house? Skull Vikes? Come on now. Surely you can't be a Cowboys fan. Surely not. Surely not. No, but, and then behind Pastor Matt, there's a great woman of God, Heather Bell. She likes to fly under the radar, right? She's quiet, doesn't like the limelight, but I know she's a woman of the word and a woman of prayer and a great strength to this body and to Pastor Matt, and uh, she's a great woman of God. I appreciate her, and uh, I've got a great woman of God with me, my wife, Rachel. I got my family. My mom is here. My sister is here. I've got two nephews here, my sons, my daughter, Monica, Michelle, family that are, that are here. Uh, I want, my wife really feels a word of the Lord. I want her to come and share this with you. And uh, she, she, she's got something that she feels like the Lord has given her. And I want her to just come and share this with this uh, body before I minister. This is Rachel. Praise God. It's good to be with you all today. Um, as I was praying this week, asking the Lord, Lord, I believe there's a spe specific word in due season. There's a, in every season, there is the word of the Lord. And it takes the believer 
to seek it out, to, to seek the Lord and to find that word. And I believe that everything that we go through, the Lord has already prepared the people for it. Um, if you notice, a teacher doesn't speak during the test. And often we are saying, God, where are you? And God says, I have fully equipped you. And it takes the believer to wait on him. But as I was waiting on the Lord this week and asking the Lord, Lord, what is the word of the Lord for this house? And the Lord began to break my heart with, um, I don't know who this is for, but, um, but I believe it will bless somebody. But somebody here is crippled with fear, so much fear that you are losing sleep over it. You are, your relationships are suffering for it. I'm not just talking scared of the dark. I'm talking about uh, like a saw crippled under the tree with fear. And it is dominating your life. And the Lord said, if you would, every fear has to be not approached by your emotion, but it has to be approached by the authority of God. That's where people lose out. They lose out. They approach the things, the attacks of the enemy through their emotion. Uh, the demoniac said, Jesus, I know. Peter, I know. But who are you? And that's speaking of authority. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them out and he said, I send you with power and authority. There is only one reason why Jesus could send them out with power and authority is because they had been in his presence. You have no authority unless you have presence. And so the word of the Lord to you today is to be encouraged, but you have to be in the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, you will stand as Jesus did against the enemy and say, Satan, it is written. And when you're able to say, Satan, it is written, it will bind, and it will, as Psalm 8 says, it will silence the voice of the enemy. It will silence the voice of the enemy. And so to encourage you today, the word of the Lord stands. And the psalmist said, I have escaped of the snare. If the snare is broken, I have escaped. My strength is in the name of the Lord. You have to have the authority of God. And the authority of God is the word of God. So be encouraged today. Let God go before you, overcoming all your enemies. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Sister Bell taught me in Bible college, I'll never forget this, there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. How many of you remember hearing Sister Bell say that? 365 fear nots. There's a fear not for every single day of the year, and so you don't have to be afraid. Amen? Praise God. I tell you what, I feel like uh, T.D. Jakes in skinny jeans today. I am, uh, there, there, there's a word of God that is burning on the inside of me. It feels like fire is shut up in my bones. And I, I, I haven't been this excited to communicate the word of God in a long, long time. I was literally turning over in the bed, uh, bothering my wife all, uh, into the early hours of the morning last night because of this word that God has given me. I heard uh, Pastor Matt preach last week a masterpiece, right? It was, uh, you're, you're a Christian now, or you're, you're, you're a Christian, or I'm a Christian, now what? And so I, I've come this morning to preach, you're a Christian now, so what? You're a Christian now, so what? We, we've got a problem in the United States of America, in the church, in the body of Christ in the United States of America. First, I, I want to give you some positive news here real quick. In, in uh, 1970, there were, by best estimates, best counts, there were 1.2 billion believers on our planet. 1.2 billion followers of Jesus Christ on our planet, 1970. The latest research that they've compiled was in the year of 2014, and they estimate that there are 2.6 billion believers on the planet. That's pretty incredible, that in, in a generation, in a generation, we would more than double the population of believers on our planet. Here's, here is some good news. 97%, 97% 
97% of the nations of the world, the, the rate of new birth is exceeding the rate of births, natural births. There are in 97% of the countries on our planet, the growth of the church is exceeding the growth of the population. 97% of the nations on our planet, there are more people being born again than there are being born in those nations. You're not, that's that, that, praise God for that, amen. The church is growing and the fulfillment of the scriptures that to the increase of his government, there shall be no end. God's kingdom is advancing on planet earth and to that I say hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. It's exciting news to see. You're not gonna hear that news on, on CNN or Fox or MSN or any of those news channels, but that is the good news that the church is advancing across our planet. But we have a problem here in the United States. The birth rate in the United States is exceeding the new birth rate. There are more people born in the United States every year than there are people born again. It hasn't always been that way, but we have declines in our nation. The church has, has fallen back, and it seems that our nation is on the brink of destruction. The, drink, the, 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 we, the United States, I believe this with everything that's on the inside of me, the United States is on the brink of a collapse. I heard one sociologist say it this way, that it, when he was a kid, he remembers standing out on the beaches in New York and seeing these massive vessels floating out on the ocean, and they would be floating away, and he said he would see these vessels pass by, and moments later, after those vessels had gone out of sight, those waves would begin to come into the shore. And he said it this way, America's ship has already sailed. The waves are only beginning to come in. Our country, our nation is on the verge of a collapse. I heard another sociologist say that it's like that we're in a canoe. The United States is a canoe and it's about to go over the waterfall and we're at a place of deflection. Either we're going to go over and crash to our destruction or we're going to repent and do what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Now that's not talking about the world, that's talking about the church. He says, my people. If the church, I believe this, if the church will turn back to God, God will pull us back to safety and he'll give America another space and another opportunity to be the great sending nation that we once were. Amen. I, I want to see America sending missionaries before like we used to do back, back in our golden years. Amen. We have seen a decline in sending missionaries. Actually, other, nation are, are sending, other nations are sending missionaries to us today. And here's what I want to talk to you about. You're, you're a Christian, so what? Is your life going to matter for the kingdom? Are you going to make an impact? My wife says this, and I believe we're, we're, that, that the Lord is coming soon. But I hear my wife say this often, that, that Jesus is not coming back for a group of wishful thinkers. He's coming back for a people who are prepared. Amen? That's what the Bible tells us. He's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. And we, the people of God, need to rise and take our place. David Cook said that we're, we're, uh, we're singing uh, twiddly dee, twiddly dumb. We're sitting here just saying twiddly dee, twiddly dumb. We're going to sit here till Jesus comes. That can't be our attitude. We've got to be vigilant. The church has to arise. So I'm going to talk to you about this this morning. I'm a Christian, so what? Is it going to matter? Is it going to make an impact? Let's look in the scriptures, the, the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read this passage about being salt and light. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, it says this, You are the salt of the earth. He's talking to us. 
if you name the name of Christ, if you are a part of the elect, if you are his, he's talking to you, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is the salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No light, no, no, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it, is give, where it gives light to everyone in the house. Talking about the power of salt and light. These are powerful analogies that the Lord uses for us, the church. Salt is a preservative, right? Salt prevents decay. Are we preventing decay? Are we holding anything back? Salt also causes thirst. I heard about a man who was trying to capture monkeys out in the jungle. True story. He was trying to capture monkeys. He had these, these traps set all over the jungle. He'd put food in there, whatever, I don't know, bananas or whatever monkeys eat. He'd loaded these traps with, with, with bait, but none of, the, the, none of the traps were catching any monkeys. So he got an idea. You know what he did? He set salt out all over the jungle around these traps, and then he put water in the traps. He came back the next day, and guess what? Every trap had a monkey in it. That's, the, that's what salt does. Are we causing people to come into the kingdom of God? Are we stirring thirst in those who have not yet believed? Are we drawing people to Jesus Christ? We are the salt of the earth as the body of Christ. We are the light of the world. The, the writer in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he says it this way. He says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. It's dark out, have you noticed? But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Amen. The Lord wants to shine on our lives in such a way that there's an analogy in the scripture that the Lord is the sun and the church is the moon. The moon has no light of its own, but it reflects and radiates the light of the sun. And the Lord wants to rise on us and shine. And we are supposed to reflect the glorious radiance of the Lord to those who are Gentiles, those who are outside of the kingdom of God, those who have not yet believed. Are you making a difference in the world where you live? Listen, if you are a Christian, I believe this, every Christian needs to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. You need to serve in this local church. You need to find a place where you can lay your life down and give it away as a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord and, and, and serve your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Every believer, if you're going to be strong, you need to find a place in the body where you can serve. But also, every believer needs to have a mission field. You, you don't have to always go to Japan or India or different places to, to, to change the world, to make a difference, to shine the light of Jesus Christ, to be a missionary. Sometimes it's as simple as going across the street. 
Sometimes it's as simple as ministering to the person in the cubicle next to you at work. Sometimes it's as simple as ministering to your classmate at school. But you need to have some place in this planet where your life is reflecting the glorious light of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard the message. How many, amen. How many of you have recognized that there's a lot of resistance when you try to share the gospel? The doctrine of our day is tolerance. They want you to tolerate everybody and shut up as a Christian. But the doctrine of our day is tolerance. And tolerance is the doctrine of demons. I want to unfold that here for just a second. I want to start with this quote. It's, it's from Aristotle, the, the philosopher. And he, and he said this. He says, tolerance and apathy. Listen to this. Tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society. Tolerance and apathy are the last virtue, virtues of a dying society. What's being preached today? Tolerance. What's the position of the church today? Apathy. Again, our country, our nation is on the brink of collapse. Aristotle made this conclusion after looking at nations rising and falling. In our, in our history, in, on, on planet Earth, we can, we can trace, go back and look through history, and we can find that there have been 22, 22 nations that have arisen to power and then collapsed. Listen, I want you to understand this. America is not in, 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 invincible. We need to understand that. I believe there will be probably a day in our lifetime when America will collapse. But Aristotle made this conclusion, studying sociology, studying the rise and fall of nations, and he said the the last attributes of a dying society are tolerance and apathy. What exactly is apathy? I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. How many of you know we have plenty of conviction to stand on? We have plenty of conviction to get a hold of in the Word of God. Listen, I I believe that as Christians, we need to learn to get into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to establish absolutes in our heart. I have absolutes that are not, not based on what Pastor Matt has told you or what Pastor Chad has told me. It's not what Ruth Bell taught me in Bible college or Van Gill or my pastors growing up. My absolute are, are not based on the doctrines of men. The absolutes that are established in my life are based on the word of God. And those absolutes bring conviction. You need to get into the word of God and find out what your absolute values are on sexuality, on marriage on drugs, alcohol. What, what does the Bible have to say about it? It doesn't matter what popular thought says about it. It doesn't matter what any pastor might say about it if it contradicts the word of God. It doesn't matter what a philosopher says about it. It doesn't matter what a psychologist says about it. What does God say about it? God's word is eternal. God's word is absolute. God's word doesn't change. The truth of God's word is just as true today as it was when it was breathed 4,000 and 2,000 years ago. The word of God is truth. And we can build absolute convictions which will be bedrocks that our lives can stand upon and weather any storm. And we can have great strength because of the conviction that comes from the word of God. Listen to this quote. It's from Archbishop Charles Chappell. He said, one must never tolerate, there's that word, evil. He said, for first, evil is tolerated. Then it is embraced. We're seeing this in our culture today. 
then it is actually held as being good. We have men calling darkness light and light darkness. Evil good and good evil. They've got it twisted, right? He says first we embrace it and then we hail it as being good. Then it becomes unlawful to do what is actually good. This is what we're seeing happen in our culture today. Evil preaches tolerance until it is dominate, dominant, and then it tries to silence good. This is literally what we are seeing unfold in our, they're preaching this doctrine of tolerance. You've just got to accept every thought and everybody for whatever they believe and just, just love everybody. We've got to love everybody. Listen, that is not love. That's perversion. That is perversion. Dr. D. James Kennedy, he said it this way. He said, tolerance is the last virtue of a depraved society. When you have an immoral society that has blatantly, proudly violated all of the commandments of God, there's one last virtue that they insist upon. Tolerance for their immorality. That's truth. That is truth right there. Tolerance is bold. Tolerance is being propagated and forced upon us. And it is the doctrine of demons. I want to, God's called this to something much higher than that. I want to show you that in just a second. But let's talk about apathy for just a second. And before I do that, let me give you one of my favorite quotes about tolerance. I was talking to Pastor Matt about this message a couple of weeks ago, and he gave me one of my favorite quotes of all time now about tolerance. He says, tolerance is actually the absolute lowest bar in, in relational exchange. Think about that. Tolerance is the absolute lowest bar in relational exchange. That's brilliant. Think about what it means to tolerate somebody. I'm going to tolerate you because you live next door to me. I'm going to put up with you because we're married. Is that what God has called us to in relationships? Is that what God has called us? In the, I'm just going to put up with you because I have to look at you every day at work. I'm going to tolerate you. Listen, I'm convinced and convicted that God has called us to something much, much greater than that. Here's what it is. It is love. Radical love. Love trumps tolerance. Love is greater than tolerance. And Jesus has called us to love the most radical and perverse sinner, our deepest, darkest enemy. Jesus has called us not to tolerate, but to love. It's a much, much greater force. There's power in love. Amen? And Christ has called us to love. Now let's talk about apathy. Apathy is a lack of interest. It's a lack of enthusiasm or a lack of concern. In, in studying this, I've, I've, I've come to the, the, the conclusion it's hard. I, I, I don't want to say I don't care anymore. We say that too often in our culture. Where do you want to go eat? I don't care. I'm thinking about opening a restaurant called I don't care. Be, be a popular joint. What should you wear today? I don't care. I'm trying to get that out of my, I want to have some conviction about the way I'm living my life. I want to have some assertiveness, some decisiveness about the way I'm living my life, right? Indifference, passivity, detachment, lethargy. This is apathy. This is not the position of the church. But sadly, this is where we find ourselves too often. Ellie Weissel, the, uh, the Holocaust survivor, he, he, he gave this quote. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it is indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it is indifference. 
The opposite of life is not death, it is indifference. So we find ourselves in this place of apathy and tolerance in the body of Christ. Let's go back to our quote from Aristotle. The last virtues of a dying society are tolerance and apathy. Listen, Jesus Christ has called us to the great virtues of love and veracity. Love and veracity are the opposites of tolerance and apathy. Love, I think we know what that is, but, 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 but veracity, let me talk to you about that. Veracity, the, 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 it, it is a firm hold on the truth of God's word. That is veracity. It's what God is talking about when he tells Joshua, get a hold of my word and don't depart to the left or to the right. Stay with the word. If it tells you to go straight, you go straight. If it tells you to, to veer right, you veer right. Whatever God's word, you need to get a hold of it and stick with it. It is a compass that will lead you to victory. It is a compass that will lead you to life. It is a compass that will lead you to hope and peace and joy and strength. If you'll get a hold of the word of God, that is veracity. It's a firm hold on God, God's word that anchors us and settles us. I think about men that lived with the great virtues of the kingdom of God. Men like Joseph, who changed a, na a nation, or a man like Daniel. Think about Daniel. He lived in Babylon for 60 years without becoming a Babylonian. His life mattered in Babylon. His convictions, his faith, his love for the Lord made a difference in Babylon because he, he had love and veracity. He held to the truth of God's word. He loved the folks that God allowed him to minister to. Even when they persecuted, even when they came against him, even when they threw him into the fiery furnace and into the lion's den. I, I love what, what Spurgeon says about Daniel. He says, it's a good thing that those old lions didn't eat Daniel because they would have choked to death because Daniel was nothing but backbone and conviction. Hey Amen. It's a good thing those lions didn't eat that guy. They would have spit him out. Right? We as believers need conviction like Daniel. Amen? I think about, about uh, uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel. Listen to this. He was taken by his mother to the house of the Lord to be raised by the, by the priest, Eli. And he grew up amongst Eli's sons. And the, the Bible literally calls them the sons of the devil. It says they were the sons of Belial, which means they were the sons of the devil. The priest's sons, the leader of the house of God, his own children were called the sons of the devil. So they were, they were stealing out of the offering. The sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Not only that, they were having affairs to the women that were coming up to worship at the house of God. And leading them into sin. And the Lord judged the house of Eli because of their sin. His house was cut up, cut off from the priesthood because of their sin. Right? But I love what, uh, what uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 18 says. It says that in the midst of all this, with all of the wickedness, with all of the perverse uh, things that these sons of, of, of Eli were doing, it says, but Samuel girded himself with the linen ephod and ministered to the Lord. Amen? 
and all of the darkness and all of the perversion that's going on in our society and even has crept into the church, we as the people of God need to make a determination that we are going to gird ourselves and we are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to minister to him. And let me, let me encourage you on that. Listen, ministry begins with ministry to the Lord. You cannot stand to minister to men until you've stood to minister before the Lord. It's in prayer. It's in worship. It's in honoring him. And out of that place comes the strength to be able to stand in darkness and minister to mankind. God's calling us to that. Amen. God's calling each and every one of us to live lives that are like that. I think about the conviction that Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, they're, they're preaching the gospel they're going about. And, and, and the, this is what the Bible says about them. That, that when the people heard, they, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. This is verse 13 in Acts chapter 4. They, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They weren't scholars. They hadn't been to seminary. They didn't have degrees by their names. But these men, when they heard their preaching, it says they marveled and they took knowledge of them. Listen, that they had been with Jesus. Because that, that is so key right there. Because this kind of conviction, this kind of veracity and standing in love that I'm talking about, if you haven't been with Jesus, it's not going to work. It's not something you can conjure up out of your flesh. It's not something you can reach with human resolve. Amen? This takes a lifting. It takes a, a, a steely frame of the word of God and a powerful lifting of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of God lifting you to rise, that Christ might be formed in you, that you might shine the light of the gospel to this world. Amen? They, they saw that they had been with Jesus, and they marveled. Are people marveling at your life? If you have been with Jesus, men will marvel. They will wonder, what in the world do this, does this man, does this woman have? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And then you know what they did? They forbid them to ever preach again in the name of Jesus. And you know what the, the, these, these uh, disciples did? Peter and John, they went and prayed, and you know how, what their prayer went? It went like it said, Lord, give us the boldness to stand in this darkness. Give us the boldness to stand in the midst of all this persecution. We will not cease to preach and to teach in your name. Give us boldness that we might stand. And Lord, as we preach your word, let it be accompanied with miracles and signs and wonders. We want to stand and shine the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Kick conviction, fortitude, boldness. What exactly is boldness? Paul talks about it, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. We've all experienced conflict as we've gone to preach the gospel. That word conflict, it literally means contention. 
It's like a, a boxer fighting with a crowd shouting against him. Have you ever seen the underdog, the, the one the crowd hates, and they're booing him, the jeers are coming? That's what it's like trying to declare the gospel of Jesus. All the jeers coming against us, all the shouts of hell coming against us to stop us, to silence us, to cause us to freeze in fear and cease from declaring the gospel of God. But, but Paul said we were bold in the midst of that contention. What does boldness look like? Because sometimes we get it uh, mixed up. Listen, we don't need mean preachers. Boldness does not have anything to do with meanness, hatefulness. I don't think it has a lot to do with protesting. Honestly, I think protesting and a lot of the things we do politically are a waste of time. Jesus says, I, I'm not gonna, I, I won't run for office and I won't protest anything. You know why? Because Jesus called me to preach. He said, go out into the world and preach the gospel. That's my job assignment. Until I hear a different command, until I can find something in the scriptures that gives me another uh, commission, that's the commission I'm gonna stick with. I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna preach the gospel of Jesus. Amen? There's nothing of meanness. Listen, boldness is a frankness. It's an uncompromising frankness and forthrightness. But listen, in boldness, there is not a single tinge of arrogance. There's no pride. There's no conceit. Boldness actually comes out of a position of humility because we're under the hand of God, because we are submitted. Amen? That, that's where true boldness comes from. And listen, I, it, when you're bold, listen, keep your opinions to yourself. Keep your opinions to yourself. If you're going to be bold, be bold with the word of God. Amen? Keep your opinions to yourself. Right? I'm tired of seeing Christians going on Facebook and saying that Obama was the worst president ever. I'm tired of seeing Christians going on Facebook and saying that Trump is a, a devil. Listen. You are eliminating your ability to reflect. When you, every time you do something like that, I want you to understand this. Every time you do something like that, you are eliminating your ability to influence people with the gospel of Jesus. Shut up with all that stuff. If you're going to be bold with something, keep your opinions to yourself and be bold with the word of the Lord. Step forth and shine the light of hope to a world that, listen, there's enough hate, there's enough arguing. There's, the Bible tells us to avoid stupid and unlearned arguments. Let me tell you about a bold man, a man that lived with some conviction, that lived with some veracity, that lived with some love in his life. Let me tell you about a man, in, in, close to our time, is about 100 years ago, a man that named Sam Jones. Sam Jones was a Methodist minister. Sam Jones was a salty preacher. Sam Jones was a man that shined the light of the truth of God's word. One time they had called Sam Jones. He was having a very fruitful ministry, and they called him to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and he got up, they, they, they set up meetings for him. All the pastors in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, they, they set up a meeting for Sam Jones to come and preach where they gathered in the city, and Sam Jones stood up and preached with such boldness the word of God, and you know, those pastors begin to get nervous. They thought, they thought, man, we don't preach that way. And, and if Sam Jones keeps preaching this way, he's going to run all of our church folks off because he's preaching with such conviction of the word of God. And they're going to get offended. And by the way, while I'm on there, talking about boldness, listen, if I offend you or if I offend somebody that I'm sharing the gospel with, 
shame on me. But if the word of God that I preach offends them, woe to them. If I offend you, woe to me. But if the word of God offends you, woe to you. Amen? That needs to be our approach. That there would be nothing offensive in our personality, in our character, that there's an offense. There, listen, there's an offense that comes with the gospel. And if there, people are going to get offended, let it be because they have been offended by the cross of Jesus, because they have been offended by the word of God. But these, these pastors were getting nervous because of Sam Jones preaching. They, they began to say, man, we, we, we need to do something about this. They called, the pastors called the private prayer meeting. And they were in this prayer meeting saying, Lord, Help us to figure out how to get Sam Jones out of town without offending. That's literally what they were praying. And you know what? Somehow Sam Jones got wind of the prayer meeting. So I said, I'm going to go up with the men of God and pray. And he walked in in their prayer meeting as they're praying, Lord, help us to get rid of Sam Jones. And you know what Sam Jones does? He lifts his voice and he says, Lord, help me to be, to never be as miserable as these wretched men. Lord, allow me to continue to stand and preach your word with conviction. You know what those men, those preachers heard that and they shut up and they let the, the, the meetings go on. And you know what happened? Revival broke out in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They heard about this in Nashville and the ministers there began to set up meetings in Nashville. And there was a, a man by the name of Thomas Ryman in Nashville, very influential. He, he owned uh, casinos and riverboats. He, he was a bootlegger. He, he was making alcohol. And he got wind that Sam Jones was going to come to Nashville. And he said, if that man shows up in Nashville, I will run him out of town. These preachers set up the meeting for Sam Jones to come. Sam Jones shows up there. And you know what it is? He goes to Thomas Ryman's house and... He'd heard what Mr. Ryman had said. And the butler answered the door. And he said, sir, who might you be? And he said, I am Mr. Ryman's guest, Sam Jones. Would you please show me to my room? And the butler escorted him to his room. And as he is leaving him in the room, he says, sir, would you please notify me when dinner is ready? So the butler comes and gets Mr. Jones, takes him to the dinner table. A few minutes later, Thomas Ryman walks in, sits himself at the table with his guests, and he said, sir, who might you be? And he said, Mr. Ryman, I am Sam Jones, the man that you have threatened to run out of town. And he said, well, what in the world are you doing in my house? And he said, well, Mr. Ryman, I intend to spend the week here, or the next six weeks here for my meetings. I intend to be a guest in your home. Now, listen, I have no idea how they worked that thing out, but you know what happened? Sam Jones... He ended up staying in Mr. Ryman's house for six weeks. And you know what happened? On the last night of Sam Jones' meetings in Nashville, Mr. Ryman came. He was in attendance. And he gave his life to the Lord. And you know what happened? Mr. Ryman shut down all of his distilleries, all of his riverboats, and all of his casinos, he compiled his money. And you know what he did? He built a church. It was called the Union Station Tabernacle in Nashville. That church building is still there today. We know it as the Ryman Auditorium. Listen, I want you to know this. The Ryman Auditorium was not built for country music. The Ryman Auditorium was built 
for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there was a salty preacher named Sam Jones who had enough conviction to go and stand up and love a man named Thomas Ryman and speak the truth to Thomas Ryman and befriend him and bring him into the kingdom of God. We need preachers and Christians, saints of God that have conviction and love and compassion. Listen, the Bible says this, or not, not the Bible, this is actually not the Bible. This is one of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill. Anybody know Ravenhill? Ravenhill, he said this, a man who has been intimate with Jesus need not be intimidated by God. That's the key right there. This boldness that I speak of, this love that I speak of, the Bible tells us of the man Jesus Christ, and it said, Jesus, a man full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. A man of love and veracity. He was full of it. He wasn't half love and half truth. He was all love and all truth. He was full of it. And when we have been in the presence of the Lord, when we have spent our time with Jesus, it will change us and transform us. And the Bible says, if the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus, that raised him from the dead, be in you, it will quicken your mortal body. It will make you alive. It will cause you to stand upright and have a love and a compassion and a conviction for lost, hurting, broken humanity. We've got to be like Jesus. It's time for the church to be the church. It's time to be Christians. People say, I'm confused about what that looks like. There shouldn't be. It is clearly written in the Bible. Get in the word of God. Let me just read a couple passages here as I close. This is our conduct. This is what it means to live as Christ in this world. This is what it means to be salt and light. Philippians chapter 2 says, dear friends, this is verse 12, dear friends, You always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one will criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, Shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. And then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain. That my work was not useless. How about Romans 13, beginning of verse 11? It says, this is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty cloths and put on your shining armor of right living because we belong to the day and we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourselves think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Listen, if you want instruction for what it is to be a follower of Christ, that's pretty clear. 
If you want instruction to understand what it means to be salt and light, that, that's pretty clear. The Bible said that this message is, it, 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 it's so simple that a simple-minded man, a man without education, as the disciples were called, ignorant and unlearned, it's simple. We can all understand this message. It's not hidden from us. If you will dig into the word of God, you can learn to live as salt and life. If you pursue after Jesus Christ, he will transform you. He will help you by the power of his spirit to be what he intended for you to be. So I'd like for my, my wife to come. I, I want to wrap up with, with, with this thought. We hear, we hear a lot of people today saying that you, you just need to pursue your passion. You need to pursue your passion. You know what I say to that? That is hogwash. That's a Kentucky term. I live in Kentucky two and a half years. That, that's hogwash. That's a lie. Pursue your passions. I tried pursuing my passions. It almost killed me. I'm not lying. The, the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the futility of fulfilling the desires of our, our minds and our hearts. It's futile. It will destroy you. It will eat you up, devour you, and spit you out pursuing your own passions. We as followers of, of Christ are not to pursue our passions. We are to take our passions and nail them to the cross. We are to take our cross, pick up our cross daily, to crucify ourselves daily, and to follow after Jesus Christ. Listen, we are not to pursue our passions. Listen, here's what you need to do. You need to take your passions, and you need to direct them towards the will of God. Lord, my, my, my ambition, my will, my motivation, everything that's on the inside of you, every passion that burns on the inside of me, I want it to be directed towards your will and towards your purpose for my life. That's the way that we need to be living. That's the way that Daniel lived and changed and made a difference in Babylon. Because the Bible said he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or drink. In other words, I'm not going to allow these passions to dominate me and drive me and destroy my life. I'm going to direct them towards the purposes of God and I'm going to be a, shine, a light shining in this dark land. And I'm going to declare the goodness of my God no matter what happens. That's what allowed Joseph to do what he did. Joseph, when he had an opportunity to, to pursue his passions and go to bed with Potiphar's wife, she laid her hands on him and the Bible said he shook his coat and ran out of that coat and he fulfilled what the Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, fleeing sexual perversion and immorality. We've got to direct our passions we got to direct our desires, our motives, everything that's on the inside of us. We have to direct it towards Jesus and his will and his purpose, his plan for our life. And church, if we'll do that, listen, you may not change the world. Like King, Kingsley Armstrong said this to me a while back. He said, I, made up, I, I figured this thing out. I'm not going to change the world. But I can change every church that I go into. I can change every neighborhood that I go into. I can change every school that I walk into. I can change every airport that I walk into. I can shine the light of Jesus Christ everywhere that I go, and I can make a difference. Listen, church, let's stand. I, I fear this, church, that decadence is destroying the American church. 
our pursuit of our passions. We've got everything at our fingertips, everything that we want and we're still not satisfied, we're going for more. Our ambitions are not for the Lord. We've set ourselves, our eyes on the things of this world. Church, it's time to rise. It is time to shake off the lethargy, the apathy, the half-heartedness, the worldliness, to shake it off like the Bible said in that scripture we read, take it off like an old, dirty, filthy clothes and throw it aside and put on the light of the armor of God and live as Christ in this world. Your neighborhood is begging for you to arise. Your workplace needs you to step up and to shine the light of Jesus Christ.